Sweet. So last week, Paul was talking about how he was chained. Paul was experiencing being in prison. What else is new? He's like in prison all the time for preaching the gospel. Uh, but this time's different. He's, he's like on death row. He's going to die. He knows it. And so these are kind of like his, his last words to Timothy. And he's reminding him of all the powerful things that God has spoken to him. All the things that have been prophesied over him. How he's had hands laid on him. And reminding him of his charge. What you're, what you're called to do. Who you are, Timothy. Understand your identity. Understand your place. Know who you are and know what you're supposed to do and then do it with bravery, with boldness. And so he says, even though I'm chained, the word of God is not chained. The word of God is still going out. The gospel is not chained. The gospel goes and still does what it's supposed to do. Case in point, we're reading this book that was in prison, you know, 2,000 years later from prison. It's not chained, Right? And so he's reminding him, don't worry about that stuff. Don't freak out about that stuff. In verse 14, he says this. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. So Paul's encouragement to Timothy for the church in Ephesus, remind them. He's like, remind them of these things. Help them remember. Memory is, is, is huge, right? Remembering things. Uh, and, and with our distracted life, we've like lost some of the art of memorization. And with smartphones and with everything we've got, our smartphones haven't made us necessarily smarter. Uh, I, I'm kind of like a weird um, Gen X millennial right on the border. So I remember life before cell phones. And I, but I still like remember most of it with them. I still remember some of my friends' phone numbers, okay? So that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I, I remember their phone numbers from, like, uh, you know, 30 years ago. It's like, uh, if, if I'm stuck, I know I know their numbers. And you would, you'd sit there and you'd memorize all your friends' numbers. You could call them. It was like something, it was like a rite of passage. You don't have to look it up. Just, that's my friend. And it's like, oops, wrong number. <laughs> that was not the number, okay? Um, but we've kind of lost that, right? You're like, so someone say, what's your phone number? And you're like, wait, hold on, let me look. <laughs> Just kidding, I know. Uh, but there's a lot of that where you're like, man, I don't know, what is that? I, I, so memorization is a big thing. Back then, it was everything. This is coming from the oral tradition, uh, lifestyle, you know, where there wasn't, everybody didn't have a hard copy, uh, you know, of the Old Testament, of all the, the, the law, the prophets. They would have to go and they would hear it being read. And a lot of it had to do with their memorization. So they would put that into practice and so good for them. I remember in Bible college, one of our uh, professors said, uh, you know, one of the big things I'm going to have you do in our class is memorize scriptures, and you're going to have a test every week with a memory verse. You're like, what are we, back in Sunday school, you know, going back to a memory verse every week? But it wasn't like a verse, it was like three or four verses. And you're like, I can do this. And it was tricky. And he says, well, I remember when I was in Bible college, th this is what I did, and this is the thing I have that has gone with me, a lot of it's gone. Every, most of the things I learned, I kind of forgot some, most of them. But I remember the scripture, I memorize, it's in there. And what's so funny is all those verses that we learned, they just come out, boom. Memorize, remembering, right? And Paul's all about that. That's why he keeps on re-entering, in, 
like these topics and these these points into his message to him, his letter to them. I need you to remember this, so I give you repetition. Child who's born in the 80s that grew up in the 90s, we had it in our heads. If you're home alone, someone knocks on the door, you don't answer it, right? And if for some reason you do, they do know you're home, they're like, I know you're home. Mom is in the shower, okay? Somehow that makes it safer. She's going to come out eventually. And these are the things we were we had in our heads, right? Or don't cross the street. You know, these were all the stuff we had in your head. We had all the stranger danger kind of stuff, and like, you know, whatever. You know, it's from the Inland Empire, so it was like, you know, keep your wallet in your front pocket, you know, swing first, ask later. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so remind them of these things. It's, it's important to remember these things. And why do I still remember those things from 35 years ago? Because they were put into my head again and again and again. So we remember these things. This is the point of scripture repetition, okay? And, and we do the Bible reading where we'll have a year plan, the yearly reading. I think that's great. I also think it's really important to sit on verses for a while and really meditate on them and memorize them. Maybe you've never done that before. I would encourage you to memorize Bible verses. You know, you can start really simply. The football verse, John 3, 16. You know, help our team to win, Lord. No, it's like, what? God so loved the world, gave his only son, right? For, so then he's reminding them, here, remind you, I want to remind you of these things. We need to constantly be putting this in and, and taking our best effort for this. You know, a lot of times uh, people say you spend time with the Lord in the morning. You get away, read the Bible. Give, that's because... A, Studies show most people, the morning is their best time. And you know, there's this principle throughout the Bible of us giving our first fruits, us giving our best, us giving the first things we hear. This is what I've got. This is, this is my very best. And, and the data shows that there's like a prime time for all of us where we can learn at a much, 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 much higher rate than other times, or where you're, you're going to be able to hear and understand and remember better. Find that time, give it to the Lord. Because is there anything better than having that part right in your life? The other stuff, it'll come. So, stretch our brains with that. The easiest way to memorize, through repetition. Obviously, we talked about that. Uh, and it's an important thing, it needs to be repeated. So, they are being charged, Paul's charging them before the Lord. This is a charge to them. I'm charging you guys. Before the Lord, this is serious. And there will be an account given to how we handle it. Because it's a charge before the Lord. What is it? Not to strive about words of no profit. Warn them not to dispute or to fight about words that have no benefit in their life. This, the idea is that you get caught on these little things and you just like to argue. Maybe you have friends like this. I, I have had friends like this, and most of them are have had, because eventually you can't deal with it anymore. But they just they just want to argue about everything, and they just want to have this little just this little thing that doesn't really matter and just drives you nuts, right? And that's what was happening, where there was these niche little parts of uh, of the Bible or, or like of that emphasis of scripture that was. 
completely outside of the rest of Scripture, and they were making it this, this minor thing into a main thing. It was causing fights. It was causing issues and division among them. This has already been talked about in 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 6. This is second to me, this Timothy, the second letter, written probably three years after the first. And Paul says this to Timothy, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is what? Proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, from such withdraw yourselves. For godliness with contentment is great gain. There aren't, these aren't well-intentioned conversations to get to the truth. Because sometimes we have to, we have to contend and have conversations about things where uh, we're not really sure, okay, how do I align on this? Or, you know, what does the Bible really say about this? Some people disagree. This isn't those conversations. These are conversations that are being used to manipulate for your own gain, twisting the word to your own gain. And so it's the purpose is to bring division. The purpose is to leverage yourself, to make yourself feel smarter than everyone else. And so that they have to all look up to you, and now you're the teacher, they're the listener, okay? And so he's saying, be careful, because what's the result of all this? It says right at the end of that verse, is the ruin to the hearers. Those who hear this and are around this and are constantly around it, it ends up ruining their relationship with God, which is meant to be this light, joyful, peaceful experience where we cast our cares upon him and, and we find this restoration it becomes this contentious battleground on every little thing. And the reason is because it's from man. It's only for you. This is, this is for your thing. You made it about you. So what's the result or the response to this? Be, verse 15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, when I went to Bible college many years ago, this was on our sweatshirts. It was like the verse, you know. This is this is like an iconic verse and reminding those who want to follow Jesus, those who want to be good ministers in following him, to be diligent, uh, be zealous or eager. That's the, the diligent. Like, you want it bad. Like, you're, you're passionately driven towards uh, presenting yourself approved to God, right? A worker who does not need to be ashamed. So we're to eagerly present ourselves as a worker approved to God. This is our audience. And this changes everything. Because if you remember who you're doing things for, it changes everything, right? And you, you know this, we understand this in a work context. Like say you're, you know, you're at work and uh, or you're working with people that when the boss comes around, everybody starts working totally different, right? And when the boss isn't there, it's like everyone's all of a sudden chill and relaxed and, you know, moving pretty slow. As soon as the boss shows up, it's like, uh, I was just about to, you know, clean the bathroom for the third time just because I saw a speck of dirt and I did the white glove test. You know, it's like, because you're living for the approval of that person. What Paul is saying is, 
we've got to make sure that we're diligent to, uh, to present ourselves before the Lord to be approved to God. It, he is the audience. This is the audience of one. He's the one we do for, and this changes everything. Because it, it, first of all, it helps us to do well in all circumstances because we really recognize God is one who is omnipresent and can see it all. He's, he's everywhere. He sees it in all. He's, he's in the middle of it all. And so it actually makes us much, much better workers, right? But it also frees us from man-pleasing, which is to say what everyone wants you to say, to, to be giving what everyone wants you to hear. That is exhausting. Where you're just trying to please everyone and give everybody what they want to hear and keep everybody happy. You know, that's a, like one of the biggest battles. Where, you know, our kids are we three, and they all have different opinions if we go out to eat of where we will go. And a lot of times we're like, let's not go anywhere. And then it's like, no, you know. There's always a battle. And usually two will take a side against the one. And then my kids, they're just like me. They don't give up, you know. The one is like, let's, I'm going. Like, if it's just me, that's fine. I'm going to fight to the end. And you're like, no, this is it's, this is like, you know, you got to take out a second mortgage to take you to eat right now. Be happy about where it is. My goodness, you know. But it's like, when you're trying to please everyone, it's like, good luck. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. So it really simplifies things that we are to do this unto the Lord. It is all for the approval of God. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? I'm serious. It makes life a lot more simple. Maybe more chaotic in some ways, but so much more simple and you sleep so much better at night because you know you're aligned with the one that really matters. Now, we're living in a culture. The culture is constantly changing. And, you know, a lot of people say it used to be like culture would take pretty dramatic shifts. You know, every it was, it was like every like 20 years, then it was like every 10 years. Now it's like every six months. With, with social media, things just change so quickly. Everything's just, it's like... I think we need to be aware of the culture because I think we are supposed to minister to the culture with the unchanging good news of the gospel. So we don't change the message, but we, we look to meet with the message wherever we can. So the message stays the same, it stays strong, but we find ways to reach people and to speak to people and to find what is the thing that you want to be a part of. So a lot of this is recognizing all the different generations. They have different things they think that are important, and underlying a lot of them, or all of them, is a godly desire that's become distorted. Like, I want to make a difference. I want to be, uh, you know... I want to be authentic. I want to be me. I want to be myself. And it's like, that's good. We were created to be authentic. But you'll never find who you truly are unless you become under the alignment of Jesus in identity with him who made you to be the thing you were supposed to be. So unless we get that, then we'll never get the other stuff. So a lot of times, what does it mean? I want to be unique. I want to be different than everyone else. These are the people that repeat verbatim what everyone else says. There's nothing unique about this. 
saying, oh, we can do better than this. And let me, let me introduce you to the real thing, right? I, I think about Paul, right? He's at Mars Hill, and he's, he's ministering, and he's like, hey, I found an unknown God. I know who that guy is. I know that guy. Can I tell you about him? Finding ways to minister however you can. So you find the, the, what people are driving for, and you show them that at the core, and because they're made in the image of God, no matter how jacked up everything can get, every single baby that is born is born Imago Dei in the image of God. So inside them is something driving and striving to do something godly. Now, what they do with that oftentimes gets really twisted up and messed up, and we end up with all kinds of chaotic, uh, you know, distorted uh, applications to that thing. But deep down, rooted inside, is this image of God in each one of us, and something that we want to make a difference. We want to do something bigger than ourselves. We want to be unique. We want to be the real thing. Ah, we want to be. Ah, how valuable we say, I see that value. So we meet that with the good news of the gospel, and we reach out to people to meet them where they're at. What's a What's a good example of this? Well, we've primarily been living in in the West a guilt culture. You know where you're. You know it's like. You feel guilty if you don't, it's like right, wrong, you know, I feel guilty if I've done this and, you know, whatever. And, and so uh, I need forgiveness uh, from the thing I did so I can be cleared and I can go on my way. Uh, much of the Eastern issue is like it's a shame, honor culture, right? So it's a, you're dealing with shame and you're dealing with honor. It's a different thing, right? The West is more individualistic. The East is more about the family name. This is where you come from. What the gospel addresses both, right? The gospel addresses your guilt, right? The, the gospel addresses all of that. So, But that's primarily been the message we've been preaching because, well, it's clear. Here's your sin. Here's your guilt. There you go. But there's also the part where now the West is shifting more towards shame. Think about how the world is looking at, at uh, how do you get a hold of people? You shame them. You should be ashamed. You should feel shame for the way you live and you act and the decisions you make. You should feel shame for this. And so we're diving into shame culture. Well, the gospel addresses both. But to understand where we make that manifest or how we use that, it's, it's important. It's culture. we got to understand that. But making the culture... Or the like philosophy of the day, or the thinking of the day, the filter by which we view truth, which many do with the Bible. Like it's like you know what I'm choosing. I, I actually literally heard a pastor say this. I'm choosing. I understand what you're saying about the Bible, and I understand what you're saying about that, and I understand you're very convinced. But that's the way that you view Scripture. That's the way you view it. I view all of Scripture through the lens of love, and so therefore. I reject those verses. Well, you go, well, what is love and how you define it? This is the issue we're dealing with, right? Because we say, well, no, you're actually not doing it through love. You're doing it through your definition of love. So now you are the filter through which you read the Bible. Very problematic. It's also important for us to understand we actually do this more than we think. 
right? You're like, I have an opinion, now I'll go and find the verses, right? You sent me something like this, right, Dr. Dave? Now I'll go find the verses to make my point. And you're like, mm, that kind of works if you take it out of context. <laughs> so we've got to be diligent to present ourselves approved to God, eager, earnest, to present ourselves to God. What? A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why is this so important? Well, we'll see as we go further in 2 Timothy verses four, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, says this, for, now listen to this, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The time will come, the time now is, that they will heap up for themselves teachers that will tell them what they want them to hear. Now, as much as that sounds like such a good situation, just tell me what I want to hear. If it's not based in reality, it's not good at all. And if we believe God to be a good God, logically we understand that His way actually is the good way. I mean, think about it. The things that you've kind of gone rogue on and done on your own, do they really work out like you thought they would? I mean, there's never been a time where I've honored God and I'm like, man, I wish I would have dishonored Him then. I wish I would have made a decision to do my own thing and go, you know, you know what? That was kind of a mistake, dedicating my life to the Lord. I wish I wouldn't have, like, you know, made that leap of faith. So it hasn't really turned out like I hoped it would. So I, I've never experienced that. It doesn't mean it's always good or, or, I mean, or always easy, but it's always like, man, I always regret not doing more, not trusting more. So this is what we're dealing with. So uh, itching ears, those who are telling you stuff you want to hear. And when they tell you stuff you want to hear, you're quick to affirm it. You're not quick to check it because it tells you what you wanted it to say to you. So go, okay, I just, ooh, ooh, I receive that in the name of Jesus. Like you're Pentecostal and you've got names. Hey, hey, I think everyone in here needs some money, you know, or whatever. I'm not, I'm in, and I, if you love the Lord, Pentecostal, the gifts, I'm down, so down. But the health, wealth stuff, where it's like, the Lord's going to bless you a thousandfold. Just touch the oil on the screen. And send us a big fat check. No, you're gonna get blessed. And obviously, that doesn't that was an unfair characterization of some, but others not. It was pretty accurate. But we don't want to do that. We want to rightly divide the word of truth. The word for uh, rightly dividing is orthotomeo. Ortho. What does that mean? Orthodontics. What is what is that? What do they do? What does an orthodontist do? Straighten your teeth, right? Ortho means to straight, to make straight, okay? Uh, correctly handling the word of truth is to give the straight, undiluted truth without deviation. So what did that mean? That means when we take the Bible, we don't go, how do I apply this to my worldview? We take the Bible and we say, how does this apply uh, how does this application change my worldview where it needs to? How do I realign my thoughts? How do I realign my, my uh, values? Right? 
And then we're reminded of that in Romans 12, that part of becoming a living sacrifice is, is the renewing of our mind, to our minds to be changed about the goodness of God. And that is what repentance is. My mind is changed about the life I lived. It seemed like so much fun until my mind was changed into the goodness of God and recognizing that he has something so much better for me. So we, we want to correctly handle the word of truth to give the straight, undiluted truth without any sort of deviation. So that means we're trying our very best to understand what it actually says. I go through, like, if we're doing, like, I have five verses this week, I looked up pretty much every word in the Greek. Like, and, and so that's why when you hear me, like, say, you'll hear me say like, a couple words, like, for what the word is. Those are, like, the alternate words. So we can get the big old fat picture of what it might be, of what's saying. Not like a, here, let me take you down a rabbit trail of emotional games and, you know, like, come to my side. It's like, no, I, I do believe that there is, there are, like, a literary structure, and there's this great, like, grand narrative from the beginning to the end, and, and, and all of this aligns with that, but it's got to align in Scripture. So when we see issues, we experience issues in the world, we look around and we go, well, what's the problem? Is it culture? Is it the world we're living in? Or is it the Bible? It's not the Bible. Sometimes, here's where it gets tricky, sometimes it's our application of the Bible. Sometimes we just get it straight wrong. And we can be really wicked. We can be the ones that are divisive, using little words to twist things up. We can do that a lot. We do do that a lot. We like to harp on things and call one sin a lot worse than another sin. Because that's not mine. And so when it's not mine, I feel pretty good about it. Right? Think about this, like, say you're, you're at your house, and think back when you were a kid, and there's someone left a plate out, you know? And, you know, mom says, who left out the plate? Who didn't, you know, who didn't, you know, clean their plate? Who didn't put away their plate? Think about the difference you feel if it's your plate or if it's your sibling's plate. You feel pretty smug when it's your sibling's plate. Oh, I put mine away. I even scrubbed it. So, I don't know why others don't seem to understand. But when it's your plate, what is, what's the deal? I was about to do that. I got kind of mixed up. I started doing this and that. I was like, you, you start to understand compassion for someone who put it in plate. Oh, you have no idea. Mom, you have no idea. <laughs> I was doing it, and I did it. I got distracted. Oh, you know, there was a, there was a fly. I got the fly swapped. It's just a lot. I had to do I was totally going to get to the plate, and I, I definitely was going to do it. I was actually about to do it when you mentioned it. <laughs> but when you're the other person, the, the other ones, I went, no, you weren't. You weren't. You were sitting there. I saw you sitting there. I think I saw you say, I'm not putting this plate. I, I saw you lip that with your mouth. Isn't that interesting, though? Because it, it, it's like the same issue, but you're on the other side of it. So you go, oh, I would never. So it's, it's where we got to be really careful. Where we like to feel really self-righteous about some things, but the other ones is like, all grace, man, all grace for me. <laughs> I get the grace. You, mm, I'm not sure you deserve it this time. <laughs> Crazy. We've got to be careful, right? But we're constantly looking at everything. We want to be looking at grabbing the word, handling it correctly. We want to be worthy, approved workers. We want to, we want to when we show up to heaven, be like, 
God, we did what we were called to do. We used this well. We didn't use it for our own gain. We didn't use it to cause chaos. We didn't use it to bring pain. We handled it well. We learned, we grew, we figured out, man, there's some things I wish I wouldn't have said that. I found some of my old notes from when I first taught. This was like classic. They're like, hey, oh, you've been saved for like three months. You seem pretty funny. Would you like to speak for a bunch of youth? I'm like, uh, sure. I, I think God wants to use me. I like look at my notes and I'm like, who let me do this? <laughs> How on earth? And I like apologize to like all the youth that I infected with horrible doctrine because I didn't know what I know. And so, but you know, grow and you learn and you change. And I didn't miss that. I didn't understand that. And we constantly are like, you know what? I want to know this. I want to figure this out for myself. I want to know why I'm here and who I am. And I want to be able to share this good news without deviation. So it means I'm not being swayed and pulled by culture. And I'm not being like, completely dumb to culture either. I want to reach people where they're at with the, the very clear, with the very direct word of God. Straight. Okay? Verse 16. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Have nothing to do with worthless chatter. That's what it means. Have nothing to do with worthless chatter. It confuses the message. And it's a source for pride. This will lead to an increase. Here's the result. An increase to ungodliness. This kind of talking has results. Bad results. The things we talk about have, have a lot to do with the place and direction of our heart. Right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, James reminds us about our tongue. Our tongue can be used for incredible good and incredible evil. But our tongue and our, the way we speak, the things we say, they are coming from somewhere, right? And so the things we say, the things we talk about, it's like it's like a steady decline. I remember that when we first, first got saved, first started following Jesus. I was young, I was 18. And you get with your friends, and you're excited, and God's been doing something in your life. And, you know, you're just kind of like all like pumped. And then you start joking around, Right? And then you start really joking around. And then you start messing with each other. And then you start saying stuff. And before you know it, it's like, it's like, it's, it's all quenched. It feels dirty. What do we do? What are we doing? Idle words, babbling, whatever, you know? Not to say like, uh, sorry, I didn't want to talk to you about sports because I was just trying to think about the Lord. I think talking about the Dodgers is very godly, it seems like to me. Um, Sorry about the Padres right now. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But I, I think that's all good. But it's like the idea of when we're speaking idle, useless, garbage words, then it has an effect on our life. So part of becoming an improved worker is learning how to bridle our tongue. Still working on it, by the way. Can, any, can I get an amen? Thank you so much. It was just one of you. It would have been us, and we would have hung out afterwards. Nobody else would have gone their way with just this amazing gospel. So we want to be careful with the things we say. Shun them. Profane. Get rid of those profane, idle boundaries. Because it will cause an increase in ungodliness. There is a cause and effect. The way you live matters. The things you do 
matter. It all matters, right? So we want to be careful with the way we live our lives. Verse 17 and 18. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. So it spreads like cancer. Another translation says it spreads like gangrene. To just discuss, you know, horrible things, you know? Stuff we just wish the world was rid of. But the, the, this, this message, this distorted message spreads so quickly. You know? This is a truth we're living in. Just because someone gains an audience doesn't mean they have something good to say. That's the other thing. You think, uh, you, oh, wow, you man, I must be saying something that people want to hear. That might not be a good thing. It might not be a good thing, right? Keep in mind, Jesus, when the crowd started getting too big, was like, anyways, I'm going to go. <laughs> he wasn't like putting up posters everywhere. Like, Jesus, son of God, is in town speaking. Come check it out. Like, are you the son of God? I don't know. What's the poster say? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I'll just say I did do some miracles, you know. Who wants to come on down? We could do a couple miracles. No, he, like, he was constantly confounding the people. They'd be hanging out with them. The, the sinners seemed to like love being around him because he was he would say you can be freed I can I can change your life right now you, you but he's very clear let's do it that means walk away from your old life like I there's no one that's gonna uh, judge you if you're free from me I'm by me if you're forgiven so they, there was like that element of it but then there was the people who were like I just like kind of being around him seeing what he's doing and then he'd say crazy things like. Hey, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you know, then you have nothing to do with me. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. But anyways, it's time for us to go. And Jesus is like, cool. Are you going to go, Peter? I don't know. No, I don't, I'm not going anywhere. I know who you are. And we're just going to follow you no matter what. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's freaking me out a little bit. But I know who you are. And so therefore, I'm going to follow you. So just because there's an audience doesn't mean they have something good to say. We're, that's especially uh, something we got to be careful of right now, right? It's so easy to garner uh, garner people following you and listening to you and, and, and praise, again, itching ears. We've got to be really careful who we listen to. Just because a lot of people esteem them or, or pump them up doesn't mean that it's good. It's really important for us to understand in our sinful nature, in our flesh, we love drama. It's like why we watch shows that are full of drama, right? We like that. What about talk shows? You know, yeah, again, grew up in the 90s. Like, you know, Jerry Springer, you know, it's like people punching each other, you know, like on, on the screen. It's like, oh yeah, okay, fight, let's go. It was like literally, people would come on the show to fight each other. That was it, you know? Do not watch that show. A different time. And it wasn't good, but you know, but that was like literally what people were waiting for. And then soap operas, not much better, right? And now we even see it on YouTube. I see it all the time. The algorithm's like, oh, you like Christian things. How about this pastor who's calling out every other pastor all the time? Here's why these people are all going to hell. And you're like, whoa, who are you? Like, what are you doing? But it's because 
because we can garner audiences and people want to hear it. They're like, well, I do want to know why Billy Graham might be in hell. You're like, hey, what a big, yeah, anyway. Here's more, some thoughts on maybe how Paul's not in heaven. You're like, okay, not really. No one says that. But like, seriously, <laughs> I see these and they're always like, the, the person going, and there's like, pick words on the screen. You're like, dude, what are we doing? Garner an audience, nothing to say. There's nothing to say. You've got to be more discerning than that. And go, what are you, what is going on right now? We're, we're, we're going off and, and deciding to go get away from truth and we're just buying into junk. We're listening to drama. We're, we just, we're feeding the flesh. Hymenaeus was already mentioned and kicked out in 1 Timothy. It was Hymenaeus and Alexander. Who knows what happened to Alexander? He's gone. They probably had a rift at some point. So now he's got a new buddy, you know. So he's got a new buddy and they're hanging out again, causing more trouble. People love to have info others don't, so they feel superior to what they're saying. That's what they're saying. Hey guys, uh, just so you know, the resurrection hour has already passed. And it wasn't the resurrection of Jesus. It was like the final resurrection. And so they're basically saying there's nothing else to happen. It's all happened. So now we're just living in the, you know, the fulfillment of everything. You can imagine the fulfillment of everything. Rome has just burned. Paul is in prison on, you know, death row. And he's like, wow, the new heavens and new earth are awesome. Like, no, none of this is taking place. Paul's like, but people are believing it. It's probably, I'm guessing, this guy, Hymenaeus, is, is, is a good speaker. And then he's good at like sounding really smart because people are buying it and they're falling for it. How do you fall for this when well, you know the real thing? Right? I heard uh, Dallas Willard say, you might uh, mistake a rhinestone for a diamond, but you never mistake a diamond for a rhinestone. I was like, that is good, right? Or you go, well, that kind of looks like a diamond when you're a kid. You're like, it's like had diamonds all over her shoes. She had rhinestones all over her shoes. They were not diamonds. Something about a diamond hits a little different, doesn't it? Especially when you bought it for your wife to marry you. It hits a lot different. You're like, this was yours so expensive. But all of a sudden, you can see the difference. This does not look like the other ones. There's a different shimmer to it. There's a different feel to it. It's just like, wow. This is the real thing, right? But how do we know the real thing? Unless we've been exposed to the real thing and we've focused on the real thing, okay? And so Paul's like, don't be deceived by these guys. Timothy, call them out. Verse 19, last verse here. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone uh, who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Um, this is actually a reference to Korah's rebellion, um, where there was Korah, Daphne, and uh, Abiram who were uh, rebelling against Moses and said, we think we should be in charge. And Moses is like, okay, hey man, I'm just like chill, I'm humble about this. Like, I didn't want to do it. And he's like, well, let's bring it all before the Lord and see what he says about it, you know. And the Lord says, Moses, get away from them as far as possible. I'm going to deal with them. The earth like swallows them up. It's insane. The idea is that the Lord knows who are His. Do we know who's are His? No, not, not fully. 
You should know your hits because the Spirit should be testing for you. You know, you're like, we should know we belong to Him, right? If, especially if you have a heart that you're, when you sin or you find yourself compromised, it grieves you. That's, that's a sign of His, right? When you are in sin and you're like, I just want to be justified. Like, I don't want to rewrite the rules. That's like a sign maybe you're not. So we want to be constantly in that place where we're listening, hearing. The Lord knows his own and calls us out from iniquity. Right? He calls us out from this old life. So he tells us who we are. He tells us that he knows us. And then what does he say? He, he calls us to depart from iniquity. That means depart from old junk. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 gives this giant list of like all the bad stuff. We've been doing this with the, um, the youth. We've been talking about um, fruits of the Spirit. So we, we kind of mentioned the, the, the works of the flesh and they're evident, as it says in Galatians. But then the works of the Spirit. So you look at the works of the flesh, you're like, yeah, these are everywhere. We know these are all bad. But then we look at the works of the Spirit. Depart from that, walk in this newness of life. So 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says, uh, after explaining all these gnarly, nasty, sinful things, that you go, oh my gosh, those people. He says, and such were some of you. You were like that, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were like that, but you've been called out. You've been changed. You've been made so now, as one who's known by God, called by God, do not do the stuff the world's doing anymore. Let me officially release you from thinking that you have to make this work. From making you think that you have to fall in line and fit in with all this. Just follow me fully. Trust me. When you see the word, don't try and twist it. Don't try and stretch it. Just give it straight. That will free people. The truth is, is freedom. The truth is what sets people free. Because we get to hear it, and it resonates with our heart that says, I know there's something wrong there, and I know I need this help. And then we, we minister to it in sensitivity to where people are at, to how they can hear it, how they can understand it. Just like the, the baptism, we're going to do the baptism, my daughter's getting baptized. I'm going to explain it to her a little bit differently than I'm going to explain it to an adult. I want her to get it fully get it, but I'm going to explain it in a way where it's like, you know, if we're going back, the water is the deluge, and the deluge is the sign of, you know, uh, you know, judgment on, on the earth, and, and so it's like, she's like, deluge, deluge, okay, got it, got it, deluge, how do you spell that? Deluge, you know, it's going to be a little more simple, but it's going to be a way that you get the same message across in a way that each person can get it the best. So that's what we do, we give the truth give the truth to everyone that we come in contact with. We spend time with the Lord, let him change us and depart from iniquity from the inside out so that we can be ministers of the gospel and not be swept up by all the expectations 